Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season seven, Prisoner Chats. My name is Magellan, and if they really were who they said they were, they wouldn't have expected me to keep the letter they sent me. If I had kept it, I would have been very stupid, silly, but they overlooked one thing. Sentimental people are sometimes stupid, <laughs> very stupid. It's Alan. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that one. <laughs> Sentimentals unite. <laughs> Gamers rise up more like sentimental. I have this locket from my long lost love. The, the one true love of my life. Kindness. And my IQ is below 90. <laughs> I'm a big, I'm a himbo. That guy yeah. kind of is the original himbo, if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Austrian barber guy. Yeah, I mean, come on. The second... Uh, the, <laughs> he's probably the first sexy Austrian, and then Arnold is the second one. Is Arnold Schwarzenegger from Austria? Let's yes. find out. Oh, yay! I did it right! Yay, I did it good! Arsel, Arsel, Arsel. Also, Arsel. Arnold is a himbo, right? Yeah, well... Well... He's a he governor. sort of becomes dangerous, I guess, in his conservative governor face. Was he conservative? Governor. Huh? Was he a conservative governor? Yeah, he's a Republican. That's so sad. No. I'm the governor. I'm yeah. a Republican governor. Oh, my God. I forgot to tell you this so briefly. Hi, everyone. It's Prisoner yeah. Chats, by the way. Um, the we're talking about shows from the past. And in thinking about the past, last night I was watching, I I think it was related to The Prisoner, but somehow I, fa- I fell down this rabbit hole of discovering uh, Jib Jab. Majon, are you familiar mm. with Jib Jab? I just know it as part of the song that the Ewoks sing at the end of Return of the Jedi. No, Jib Jab was like a duo who used to make like these YouTube videos where it was like the classic live action, like person's face, but the mouth moves kind of independently to like their dubbing. Okay. You, sure. And kind of like the tiny body and like, I'm doing a little dance, but I'm not like puppetry. Yeah. And they were like very early to YouTube as doing like year in review videos on YouTube, sort of like the way YouTube now does the YouTube rewind. And I kept going backwards in their videos, being like, okay, wow. 2011, like we're talking about Herman Kane. This is very fun. Like, what are the memes they're doing and what are the impersonations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, their, their, uh, their rewinds go back as far as year in review 2006. And oh let, boy, what was going on then? It was like Tom Cruise did the lightning couch thing. <laughs> I was like, ah! And there was a the lot of jokes about thing when he was on Oprah, and he like jumped, that was 2006. I believe where so. he was like, yeah, so into Nicole Kidman or Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes, yes. Whoops. Um, and yes, I believe it was 2006. Wow. But then, then there was also like because they, you know, they lean into like the comedy stuff more than they do political or real life stuff because that's harder to make jokes about, I guess. Yeah, but briefly they'd be like, Iran was on fire. The Iraq War got worse. Ah, <laughs> it's just like no hope for occasional parts of the song. It's really weird. Go look up Jib Jab. They're not funny at all. They're like really not creative or funny. But they, it's a really fascinating look at like what the specifically like right after these events happened. What were people? What was on people's minds culturally? Yeah. Um. And yeah, again, we're here to talk about cultural events like uh, 1967's The Prisoner. Um, which is a show that we watch two episodes a week of. But John, what episodes have we watched this week? Well, we watched two episodes, episodes 13 and 14 of The Prisoner. First 13, Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, and then 14, Living in Harmony. Episode 13 was written by Vincent Tilsley, directed by Pat Jackson. It originally aired December 22nd, 1967. And... uh, Alan, what took place in Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. 
In this episode, with his mind transferred to another body, Number 6 wakes up in his London flat and can't convince his colleagues who he is. He takes off to Austria to find the one man who can help him. The person Number 2 wants him to find. Hmm. Now we talked, uh, we spoke briefly before the pod about this, uh, how last week we watched two very, I guess you could say bog standard episodes of The Prisoner, just because of The Prisoner, like, is already so weird that, like, episodes like that, those are, are like, mind control stuff is is kind of normal. Um, and the contrast is that this week we watched two very non-standard episodes. Um, so in general, what did you think about Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling? I had a lot of problems with it. Oh, actually. yikes, 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 yeah. yikes! Um, coming out the gate, I re- I did one of the things I kind of enjoyed. I think it's messy as hell, and something we're going to talk a lot about is how not having Patrick McGowan at the center of this episode really does it a disservice. But I liked going yeah. around different places. I liked not seeing the village for almost an entire episode. But uh, and I think it's creative, and there's a couple of really stellar performances in this episode. Um, but overall yeah it just this both of these like feel like a different show to be honest with you yeah when you learn the so both of these i think are more interesting to me in the kind of meta context of how they were made than in talking about the content of the episode themselves Mm -hmm. episodes themselves and the first one was made without mcguin um at the center because mcguin had to be in the united states filming a movie um called what it was called something i'm trying to find the title of it but ice station zebra yeah ice station zebra so he had to be in in the u.s to film ice station zebra and it's so clear (laughs) that this was invented as an episode because he couldn't be there you know like not a filler uh, but just like well we're gonna deal with the circumstance and get an episode out yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then the way that they do it is, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I also liked seeing a show where he was sort of traveling around to different places and cracking codes and things like that. But then it's like, watch a spy show. Yeah, you know, this like, isn't the prisoner, the prisoner isn't a this isn't a spy show. This and this episode felt like kind of it's a spy show with like a guy. Both of these episodes felt like I tuned into Turner classic movies on Sunday <laughs> and like just was watching something else. Absolutely. Um, and this was like some random spy movie, you know, yeah, with yeah, yeah. like a nondescript lead dude. And he's like, don't you know, it's me darling. And she's like, I just don't know who you I are. I don't know anymore. And, but she still takes the kiss to the face. Cause that's what you do. Yeah um and so i just wasn't that interested in them and also giving number six all this like backstory and other real life people that he was connected to felt really strange to me i agree uh i believe her name is janet the one who plays his sort of lover slash spouse fiance beyonce yeah um i really she's the performance i'm referring to as i really enjoyed um it's obviously kind of melodramatic how she's like refusing to believe this and the way that she's like oh but i know it's you in there somewhere and you're buried inside but like that is the that's the tenor you're gonna get out of an episode about identity and being like displaced and like what is the essential part of you it's the thing we talk about a lot when discussing this show is you know what makes you uniquely you and like what is worth keeping in that because we know that this is number six we pick up on this very quickly um, the episode 
opens with well it actually opens non-traditionally um like opening opening the cold open is yeah both of them do mm-hmm. yeah. uh <clears throat> and this one opens with like and instead of the theme song we are in a uh like an office space or whatever like a uh, sort of like a lounge almost and it's similar to the one that we saw last week in not last week but the last time number six was in the uk it's presumably the same place um yeah. and it's these people talking about finding dr seltzman and how we need to find Seltzman, it's very important. And then they have this really, really cool moment about, uh, like, oh, he has technology that lets you, uh, like, put yourself into someone else's body. And one of them says, talking about, like, oh, it's it's based on the, th- the study of thought transference, which was popularized in India. And um, they're talking about, like, getting people to believe in the moon landing and how, like, we got, we were able to do that. Like, why can't we, why is this out of the realm of possibility? But the main point of this opening is that they they say like, you know what what's the benefit to a country like a military in having the ability to like put someone else's brain into a person's body, mm-hmm. and he says like, imagine the like the power of putting it into like a government agent or a leader's body and having the access to the brain but not the body, and they can like manu- manipulate their way into spaces and stuff like that. Like that's incredibly powerful men are stronger than most weapons (laughs) to get information um so that's kind of like the stakes that we're dealing with that i feel like is weird because we don't usually it adds a weird sort of tension to the episode of like if the bad guys get access to the seltzman then they're gonna win the war and you're like Mm. it's an undercurrent that exists in the prisoner but i don't need to have reminded to me like all that this often yeah, I I was unclear about what exactly the village wanted him for. That they just wanted control over this like brain switching process, I guess. Yeah, and it, it brings them to a question. I think you've talked about before, which is like, is the village in cahoots with the British the British government, right? And I think that those questions are not useful. Like, I think that the point of this is this is something I was thinking about with regard to the second episode too, because um well actually let me share this. So here's an interesting piece of trivia that I found. You're talking about the writer um, from the wiki about this first episode. Oh actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um which is according to a book called The Prisoner by Robert Fairclough Clough Clo, I don't know who that is, um, or what that book is, but I pulled this from the prisoner wiki. Had the series been renewed for a second season, the format would have followed that presented in this episode, with number six being sent out on missions on behalf of the village. What? Which is kind of crazy. Um, And I'm sort of glad that that show didn't happen (laughs) because, like, to me, the value of The Prisoner is pretty much entirely allegorical and literary and... Whenever they venture into like backstory or lore or like the world and what's going on, it's not, I don't think it's particularly good at that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that enriches the episodes uh, all that much. So these questions of like, oh, the British government, are they like, they want this guy and they, they're working with the village and what the heck? Yeah. I don't, I don't really... I'm not here for that. And I think that could be a totally fine, good show. It's just not the show that I signed up for. You know, I find it interesting also. 
apparently there was an original draft of the script that has been like got revised um, to the point that this was produced and it's described in the, on the wiki uh, what exactly the first script was like, but it seemed like one of the big differences was that in the original version of the script, when you see the British intelligence guy, the main guy, mm-hmm. he's talking to like a mysterious oh, yeah. off-screen voice who's like clearly working for the village. Mm-hmm. Um, so that like explicit connection they took out to, I think, get you to ask the question of like whose side is who on right. and all that. But then all that you really get from that question is like, what if the British government's working with the village? And it's like, okay, so yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, let's keep yeah, doing the, sh- yeah, the show. It makes the part where he gets back onto the village and like the helicopter lands and they bring cells from there. I'm like, wait, wait, oh God, now I'm back in this show. Like it really feels like you said, like it's another show happening that's being brought onto the set of the prisoner. And you're like, wait, and that's kind of intentional, you know, but the whole it, it it really clashes with what the rest of the prisoner is um and i think most of my notes here are like about how all the different spy scenes like the dinner party scene and like him driving through the countryside i'm like this is not this show this is a cool show that i would like to watch occasionally like you said on like turner classic movies or whatever uh yeah. it's corny in that 60s way but it's fun and engaging and there's a little bit of thriller to it but like this is not this is not my beautiful prisoner <laughs> Right, right. And I think the it opens with a real like after that cold open. That that part's already like, hey, this is not a normal episode. But once and we've established that like six has been body swapped, him waking up in first person in his old house is a really great bit of like cinematography storytelling. Yeah. Cause he wakes up and he walks by the mirror several times, has a whole conversation. And we start coming to question of like, does he know that he's here white? And then he looks in the mirror and like has this freak out. Yeah, it. Uh, so it wasn't clear. I think a couple things weren't clear here. Yeah. Um, another thing that was different about the original script from what I read is that he, in the original version, wakes up in another body and storms off to go resign as if he had had his memory erased in the time between when he was like when he was on the village basically on the yeah. island yeah and so he just thought he was waking up on the day that he resigned and then he shows up and he f- realizes that oh that was a year ago mm-hmm. or whatever and in this it's unclear to me whether that still holds true or not um because when he talks to his fiance when which, but let's talk about that in a second yeah, but yeah. when she comes in he's like oh but he saw you yesterday at your birthday party and she was like that was my birthday party last year yeah it's like wait um, how far back is his memory right now yeah and then it it makes you wonder when he looks at himself in the mirror and we get all these which are really cool i was actually moved almost to the point of like choking up a little bit at all the, the montage of the scenes of him, him being like, I'm not a number. I'm yeah, a man. Yeah. And like, God, I'm an individual. Um, when we see that montage, is that supposed to be him in a flash remembering the time at the village? Is that supposed to be him like boiling with rage that he's in someone else's body? What exactly is motivating this Patrick McGowan clip show 
other than the fact that Patrick McGowan's not here this week. And so we want to make sure that you see his face and remember that he's in the show. I wonder if it's even like, like, hey, these are memories that are being pulled out. Because the way I understood it, that this mostly squared for me until this scene was they took out all of his memories of the village so far, however far into the, the village timeline he was, and put him a year before he resigned, or like a year before he ended up on the village. So that includes him resigning, all of these scenes of rebellion, all of this stuff, and it's that stuff flowing out of his brain into the other guys. Because they don't show, I think one of the, a lot of my notes here are about like how they kind of are clever with the way that they show like a, bro- a body mind swap happening as well as him realizing that and him reacting to that. I think it's all handled very deftly, uh, at least compared to like modern television, how they would do this. But yeah, yeah I thought that that was kind of him being like, oh, these are all memory, like important character defining memories that are being removed from him and so the six that we're working with in this episode is much more confused nervous uh and angry interesting because they're leaving those memories in the original six is that what it is or something because it's not it can't just be that they're switching out his body like his brain like from the moment that he's on the island at the, in the, on that day, I think there's also like a time they're also setting him back a couple months to a year uh, in reverse mm-hmm. so that he's just like discovering this as if he woke up one day pre village, pre everything and like having this experience. Interesting. Um, yeah. I think that, I think that tracks with the fact that like he so readily leads them directly to the dude. Yeah. To, to Seltzman. Yeah. It felt kind of dumb <laughs> on the part of number six. Like you'd expect number six would, would catch on and be smarter than that and be like, oh, they probably want me to find him. And that's why they're doing this to me. But he just like doesn't really expect that at all. And also the fact that he's like believes that people will believe him and that the main uh, dude, the main British intelligence dude is going to trust him also feels kind of naive. Yeah. As well. So, well, I wonder with um with him going to Seltzman because it's like what what else can he do? Like this is the one person in existence who can put him back. It's mm-hmm. like you can't not go to him, even though you know this entire time that you're being chased by. Scary yeah, guys. I think I think something that is uh, compelling and kind of haunting that the episode doesn't really make full use out of is the idea that like we know that he's going to go exactly where we want him to go because six is so tied to his own person, his own identity, his own self that he couldn't bear to live in somebody else's body, even for a minute, even if it meant like protecting this dude and like fighting for the greater good. He's so in a way he is a sort of captive of his own physical form. Well, his own like relentless individualism Mm -hmm. and his need to retain every piece of himself. And it's just interesting that like he can't conceive, like he can't, even though his mind is intact Uh in this new body, he can't conceive of it as like himself unless he's in his own body. And uh, that allows the village to control him. Because they're like, well, now he's just going to do exactly what we expect him to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he would never just like live his life in a different body just to keep living and thwart us. Um, So, uh, yeah, I I think the episode didn't really stress that. Mm -hmm. But this idea of like using Six's 
own kind of resistance and rebelliousness and individualism against him or like for their purposes that i think is a an angle of this like individualism theme of the show that the show doesn't always explore because i think it always presents six as like correct yeah you know um so yeah and and the show keeps all this individualism stuff in mind even as we move forward in the plot because when he goes back to the agency um, he's trying to tell the guy, Sir Charles, we later learn his name is, um, where he's trying to tell him like, I'm, you know who I am. I'm me, but like, he's not going to tell the viewer of the show. Like my name's Doug Steinfeld because we're not supposed to know what number six, he's, his name is not important, but instead, mm-hmm. because he's in a secret agent group, he's like, you know me, I'm ZM 73. And they're like, Oh, like, okay. Now I know who you, what you mean to say. Cause everyone has a secret code that only they know. And a secret yeah. password as like double protection, and you know he can only be defined by his role, even outside of the the village, because his like sense of self is his personality and his body. It's not his name. His name never matters. That's why we don't hear it. We do actually hear that the woman is named Miss Portland. He calls her Miss Portland, but uh, we don't like we're not to understand that his like last name is Portland or anything. We don't think that they're like already married or whatever. Uh, and it's great that yeah, Sarah Charles is like, you're in a paradox because if it was you, then or if it was somebody else lying, then they would have just got all this information, and this is exactly how they would lie to me. So yeah, instead of believing you, <laughs> I can just put a guy on you twenty four seven. That seems good, right? Uh huh. And then six is like, that would be a waste of someone's time. And then He's the not- guy's like, don't worry, he'll get paid. He'll get paid. He's like, Ugh. <laughs> um. That that raises a fun hypothetical of, like, there really is no way to convince everybody that you're you. Eventually, they strike on the handwriting thing. Yes. But even that, you know, someone could, like, learn your handwriting, I guess. Yes, easily. I got in trouble back in uh, fifth grade for forging my parents' signature. Oh, you did? What did you forge it on? It was, uh, like, a math like test. A that progress I got a, report? No, it was a, yeah, it was a math test that I got a C on. And it was like, if you got a C or less, you had to have your, your test signed, signed by a parent. And yeah. I signed it and I'm like, I handed it to my teacher. She immediately was like, Alan. And I was like, what? She's like, this doesn't look anything like a person's signature. Like, what your parents say? Like, you did not do this successfully. <laughs> and I had to have this whole conversation with Miss Rutherford about like, yeah, I don't want them to see the C because that's the only one I plan on getting. And I'm sorry. And she's like, eh. it was like a whole thing. But yeah, you yeah. can you you can if you're an adult and a professional, presumably learn to emulate someone's signature. Um, so they don't believe him, and we cut to a fancy dinner party. I love prisoner dinner parties. Sixties dinner parties are the best because we've got bad jazz music. We have his the woman Miss Miss uh, Miss Portland delivering a fantastic performance, and there's actually like a brief moment in here where him and her like kiss and have this whole like honest to goodness passion. And right before that, as she he's like, I'll meet you outside. This like other dude is like, You mind to dance? And she's like, Yeah. <laughs> she like kisses <laughs> with some random Greg. <laughs> like Yeah, everybody at the party is like, Could I have a dance? Can I get a quick She's one? like, sure, sure. She's like, yeah, I guess. It's funny. It's how being a socialite works. You just kinda of have to say yes a lot to people. Yeah. But yeah, they have this so, like kissy moment and it's a whole thing. We gotta talk about this. Yeah. So it's weird. First of all, I mean, I think it's this episode raises cool questions about like 
how do you tell the people closest to you that you're you in an unbelievable situation? Mm -hmm. Like, could you ever possibly convince people if your face is different that it's actually you? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Um, uh, And so for some people, it's the handwriting. For some people, it's like the way that I kiss you or the way I stroke your face. Uh, You could tell it's me. But the thing that, is just bonkers about this whole plot is that six has a fiance, I guess. Yeah. They've just been dating. They're like a cohabitation situation. <laughs> Why? I don't need to know this. This brings, this raises more questions than it answers. Also, nothing in the whole show pointed towards this ever. This was never, never at all indicated in any of the other episodes. As far as we know, He's had lines where it seems like he's a jaded guy who hasn't had luck in love and has been burned by treacherous ladies before, you know, or whatever. Like when he's like, never trust a woman, even the four-legged variety. Yeah, hell yeah. And then the one where they're like in his dreams and there's that one lady that is trying to talk to him, that other spy lady or whatever. Like impressing and that feels more like the kind of women that are in his past. And this just seems like a normal, healthy relationship. Yeah, he has a whole ass wife. What? Or a he has a whole story about like, remember when I asked for your daughter's hand in marriage <laughs> and we like met at the koi pond in your backyard or whatever the hell the story was. It just doesn't square with anything that we know about six. And I read the AV Club article about this episode and they make the great point that like, if this if this has been true the whole time, what does she think why, he's doing? What does she think he's been doing for a year? First of all, because she storms into her dad's house and she's like, hey, he's been on some mission. You haven't told me. And it's been a year. Like, why didn't she do that after a week? <laughs> first of all. Second of all, um, why the thing that's brought up in the AV Club article is. If he's just had a fiance this whole time, why hasn't the village used that against him <laughs> and been like, hey, this is pretty easy. Here's your fiance. We're going to like shoot her in the head if you don't tell us why you resigned or something. Yeah, like you guys have leverage, actually. Easy scheme. You don't have to go into his dreams or like make a body double of him somehow or like all the other crazy stuff they've done. He's got a fiance right there. She's clearly clearly not a secret. Because whoever you're working my, with, my knows. only my only guess, sorry to interrupt you, is like if it's Sir Charles's daughter, and Sir Charles is implied to be working with the village because he's also looking for Seltzman and using the village, and they're working together. Then is he like, don't fuck with my daughter? But I guess, but it is another thing. Like that's totally plausible, but then it's another thing that gets us into conversations about like the plot and the lore, yeah. As opposed like, to like questions I should not be asking. You shouldn't be bringing these up, prisoner, because I can't. yeah, because it's not like it's not lost. And I've said this before; it's not lost. Where it's like, who's the smoke monster? Oh my gosh, yeah. what's in the trap door or whatever? Like it's not like that. The show isn't about. Mm, questions that are going to be answered it's about questions that can't be answered or that like you should carry into your life you know i actually have some great points about lost in my my notes about the second episode so keep an eye keep a tab on that thought but yeah i'm excited about that 
Um, yeah, it's it's too, it's too many questions that you shouldn't even bring up because what can we know? Like, what are we three or four episodes from the end? Like, they're not gonna get to this. Is not the stuff that the show wants to get into. It's not the stuff I want to know. So what, why bring it up? It just add it just adds more confusion to it. Um, yeah, but we continue with the Seltzman plot, and this you know progresses as a standard spy movie thing. There's this really like mesmerizing scene in a photo store where six goes in and is like hey like i was here a year ago and i had some prints i know like it wasn't me but i have my order number like you know who the person is right you know what well, that's whoever and the guy's like yeah sure like i kept the prints uh mm, now let me double check oh it looks like my like intern or whatever lost all of your your uh what are they called transparencies uh so like i can't get you those anyways and then he's like, okay, well, I don't want them, actually. You clearly, he, like, figures out, like, this guy's probably working for someone or this is stupid, whatever. And then he's like, can I do a passport photo? And he's like, yeah, um, Mike, our photographer's on vacation. He's like, <sighs> okay. And it's just, like, this, like, very weird, like, they're full eye contact, like, very strange scene. I did really enjoy it, but it was it was so weird. Um, but yeah. it really just, it amounts to six gets... He finds he eventually finds the transparencies and pulls them up. Um, and it's such a spy movie scene where he's doing this code cracking. And I do love it. I think it's awesome when he's like, they have numbers on them and they all correspond. Each picture corresponds to a number. And if I put the number up in order and then put a black light on it or put like my lens on it, then I can see that he's that Seltzman is in Kandersfeld, Austria. Uh-huh. But that's just it's so out of character for the show. Because now we're in, now we're in spy movie town. We're in a James Bond plot. Yeah, and it's like just kind of a blah one, you know. It's right. not even that fascinating of a spy movie. Mm-hmm. Like that code was not like a brain shattering code. Yeah, it's not that know? complicated. He just found the numbers attached, put the transparencies up, and then put the glasses on, and bingo, found it. The answer's just right there. It's not like a yeah. satisfying cipher. Um. And so he goes to Candisfeld, Austria. The The process of getting there is a lot of fun. Um, I have something in my notes here about how, like, the prisoner is really careful about what it shows and what it doesn't show. Not only in, like, plot and mystery, but in, like, how people react to things. Because, you know, like, in the se- there's a quick shot in the second episode where he's carried away by some men. And it's silent. Like, he's carried away and there's none of him being like, get your hands off me, you filthy people, or whatever. Because we already know, like, he's mad. Or mm-hmm. this guy wakes up in another body and doesn't have the classic moment of like, ah! like he doesn't scream. He doesn't freak out. He's just like, hmm, okay, new body. Like, let's go. Because we know that he's freaking out. We don't need to be told that. And it makes me think that like, uh, you know, is, do we like that stuff? Does that give like necessary context in it all the time? Or is it just sort of redundant to have like all these extra scenes? Because him going to Austria is like, he drives his car to a boat. Uh, he gets the, he he loads the car onto the boat. The boat goes to Austria, and then he drives to the barber shop. It's like a whole thing. And then there's like all these really bad composite shots of him driving through the countryside. But anyways, we do get there, and in this like really pretty village, uh, he gets to like a restaurant, and they're like, "Oh, that guy's a barber here." And he goes to the barber shop, and he's like, "I want to cut, sir." And the guy's like, "Sure, your hair is really short, though." And he's like, "I don't actually want to cut." Uh, I know you. And he does the whole like you you know me. I'm this guy. This is what I used to look like. This is my photo. And he's like, that's impossible. Don't believe you. And yeah, the part that you called me at the beginning, that's actually very 
nice is mm-hmm. Seltzman and Six had a pass together and he's like, oh, you have a photo, you have like a, a letter I sent to you and you would have, if you were smart, thrown it away. So you probably don't have it. And he's like, yeah, but I'm also very sentimental and I kept it because I missed you, my friend. And I'm like, oh, that's very friendly. And uh, yeah, he gets the letter. It's the same handwriting. He's like, okay, I know who you are. Just getting to the end here, he fights the people who are chasing them in the basement. Um, he loses. He gets taken back to the village along with Seltzman, uh, who is asked to switch the bodies back. Except instead of doing that, Seltzman gets the upper hand on everybody in the village because he puts his body into the colonel. We learn the guy's name is referred to as the colonel, the other body. And so that guy is, is allowed to go free and do his work in the military. And, and Six's like monologue at the end is like, yep. And then Saltzman was the ultimate winner because he got to go continue his research in like a healthy young body in his like old decay, decaying body is now possessed by like a sad man. Yeah, it's it's dorky. It's like a cute but dorky ending, yeah, I think. It's really different. And I kind of appreciate, I respect the show for being different like that, but I don't know. I just I mean you tried it. They tried it. They tried it. They did what they could, but it just it's just lame. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't think it's good. I think it uh muddles a lot of what is like the sort of clarity that the show had around this is a guy, he's number six, you don't know his name, you don't know his past, you know that he's stopping a spy, you have no idea why, you don't know a thing about yeah. him. Here he is in like wacky scenarios where they try to crack him. Right. This, the the purity of that is what really appealed to me about the show, and anything that messes with that, I find frustrating. Uh, and Very then fair. also like yeah, I don't know. The guy who was doing, who was uh, the body like... of the colonel. Oh yeah, is, fu- yeah. is fine. He's fine. He's not. He just doesn't have the McGuin like the smokiness. Yeah, you just can't. <laughs> he's not like not even trying really to do a McGuin impression. He's like being a very agreeable, nice guy. You know, you're watching like he's, a friendly dude just kind of work his way through a spy plot. Yeah, and it's just that's not what I'm here mm-hmm. for. I'm here to see McGuin do stuff. I would rather see. I would rather see McGuin in a totally weird context than see a weird person in the prisoner context mm-hmm. you know so yeah i wasn't i wasn't crazy about this one i didn't really like the other one either but Ooh. <laughs> I, I don't know i think this one's probably worse okay well that's fair uh i think at the very least they're both fascinating as exercises in like in setting and tone and all that stuff and character, but yeah, they kind of both fail in different ways. I I, I pulled uh the there's like a prisoner Discord. It's it's the prisoner subreddit, but some people respond faster in the Discord, and I'm, I am a part of that just because it's like nice to be like, hey, what do people think about this thing? And yeah. I didn't ask about this one, but I did ask about the second one, and it seems like a lot of people are actually on your side and are like, yeah, I skip, <laughs> I skip the second one. I skip living in harmony every time I rewatch it. I think it's an interesting one to talk about in that sense. So let's talk um, about it. Yeah, do you have some spare it. notes before we go? I think I know I saw some stuff about like the writer of this one that you had. I do. So yeah. something that I found funny about the writer of this one, mm-hmm. uh, Vincent Tilsley, I decided to check on the wiki uh, or Tilsey, maybe that's what it is, uh, to check on the wiki, just like click the pages for the writers and directors of these to see if I could learn anything about them. Yeah. 
And I don't know if Tilsey wrote any of the other episodes or not, but uh, this paragraph from his page on the Prisoner Wiki is very fun. Tilsey gave up writing for television and became a psychotherapist when his six-hour drama ITV Sunday Night Theater, colon, The Death of Adolf Hitler, 1973, was cut down to less than two hours. <laughs> so I just love, like, that sounds exactly right, that this episode was written by a future psychotherapist who would get pissed that his Adolf Hitler story got cut to movie length instead of being a weird How dare six-hour epic. That's hilarious. Uh, in the AV Club review, they talked about the movie Ice Station Zebra. Oh, yeah. And said that it's like a completely mediocre movie that uh, Magoon is like the best part of, yeah. basically, which I totally believe. I looked at and the... of course, he, he plays a British spy named David Jones. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see that. I looked at the like poster of it. And yeah, it's very like we got a bunch of famous people from our, like in hall, like famous white guys from Hollywood to do like a fun outdoorsy action movie. Like, eh. yeah, it's like Burt Lancaster is in there or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Vincent Tilsey actually wrote another one of our favorite episodes, The Chimes of Big Ben. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that's a good one. He can do good uh, episodes. I believe that. And I think there's worthwhile stuff in here. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I also do think it would have been a valid village scheme to put Six's brain in somebody else's body and send that body home just to fuck up all his, like, relationships. Yeah. And then bring him back and be like, now there's no... Nothing for you to nothing go back to. to hope to. for. Yeah. You, uh, your marriage isn't going to happen anymore. Everybody at your job hates you. So you're fucked. So just tell us why you resigned. Because, like, what's the point anymore? Yeah. But they didn't even do that. Yeah. They, it was this weird invented thing about we got to capture this Austrian barber mad scientist guy. Mm-hmm. So. And Six hat knows how to get to him, so we're going to just use him. It's very convoluted. It's another one of those, like, Six doesn't actually feel like he's the most important part of this episode kind of thing. Yeah, it's like it's your funeral in that way, where there's some larger scheme that they're using Six as a, as a sort of piece, as yeah. a pawn yep. within. But then... Uh, why why am i watching that show it's yeah. a show about this guy and the, about like them trying to break him and the tenacity of the human spirit and all that mm-hmm. um i don't think they do like six's individuality being used as his puppet strings very well i think that's a worthwhile thing to explore but i don't think that they quite nail it um this is the only prisoner episode to show number six kissing a woman yep although he is in another man's body hence the scene did not involve the devoutly catholic mcguin says the wiki i adore that image right (laughs) of mcguin's this like sexy spy guy one of the best like important british actors of his time and he also goes to church every single week and will not kiss another woman (laughs) (laughs) perfect just perfect Uh, that's funny Mm -hmm. uh well, I had a straight okay. note here if you if you want me to take one real quick. Yeah, go for it. Um and I did just about no, I have it here. Um there's a thing I was going to ask you about cuz you have a note about like what music is underscoring this episode. Um yeah. when I was listening to it, what I heard was the song My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean, you know, the old like folk song My Bonnie Lies. It's that song, which I thought in my head I was like making big brain think thoughts like Oh, it's my body lies over the ocean. He's trying to get back to his body. Like that's the, that's the <laughs> thing, dude. And then it, apparently it's not that song. Uh, okay. 
Because yes, you found a note that was like it's from some old fifties movie. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, on the wiki it says it's some song called "The Ballad of High Noon," also called "Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling," introduced in the nineteen fifty two movie High Noon. Yeah, I listened to that and it was like, oh sure, I hear that a little bit more than. Yeah, but then like, what does the title mean exactly? I guess it's about his fiance. Don't forsake me just because I'm like in another guy's body or something. Yeah. Don't give up on me. I don't know. I can't English class this one for you, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. The let's see. The AV Club calls this one a snooze, which is kind of brutal. Fair, but it's fair. Apparently, so they call the body double guy the Colonel. Um, and from what I learned on the wiki, that is that's a mistake. <laughs> Because in previous episodes, whenever either in Chimes of Big Ben or in um, Many Happy Returns, whenever he like gets to, he can be in London talking to the people in charge. Yeah. The person in charge is always referred to as the, the colonel. colonel, right? And so the instructions from Magoon were to call the person in charge in this episode the colonel, and they misinterpreted it and called the body double guy the colonel. Yeah. So, I I, uh, I figure that's like why they have script supervisors, is to be like, hey, was this what you were meant? To, is this are you calling this what it was supposed to be in the script? Like, what? Where did that change? You know, but that's, yeah, neither here nor there. It kind of adds interesting flavor that like there are other kernels. Maybe like what is this guy's position? All that stuff. Yeah. Uh, my only other note also was that the guy who's chasing number six is named Potter. We get a couple of scenes of him looking very scary. I love the like mysterious, relentlessly pursuing assassin spy type. That's happened that you see that a lot in even like John Wick has that or like uh, old spy fiction. James Bond will often have that um, usually either like a waifish man or a woman being this character. But yeah, I dug, I dug him a lot, even though he was not in the episode a lot. Yeah. Um, trying to see if there's anything else. I don't think so. No, that's pretty much it. Just like Fabulous. this episode. Yeah, we've said a lot about it. It just kind of isn't great. Fair enough. Well, I think we should take it to a brief musical break, and uh, we'll be right back to discuss Living in Harmony. Hey, everybody, it's time for the email segment with Magellan and Alan reading the emails. It's only emails. Yeah. Only. (laughs) (laughs) Took you a second, but I could tell you got it. Yeah, I got it. We have our videos on, so you really sold that with your your sort of vacant stare. (laughs) Yeah. You're a vacant stare, and I'm here to read you. I can't rhyme that or make a joke out of it. My brain's just pff, empty hey guys uh omens our friend from uh the old chats listeners oh will recognize God. it's uh this is, a, this is a this is a visit from christmas past but in a wow. good way it's like if scrooge was visited by the ghosts that he loves and they're not ghosts they're old friends yeah you know what i'm saying i guess it's just a just a memory just reuniting <laughs> All alone in the moonlight. Uh, it's just good to see Omens again. Welcome home, Omens. Welcome Who's Omens. A, f- a frequent Scape Chats contributor. Eventual uh, guest. Guest, big OG Chats fan. I mean, it's just, 
It's just good to have omens were typing in again. Half a decade ago, omens was uh, sending in emails about how Farscape was her rock and how she got into the show at a very young age and she loved it and her mom got her into it and she lives in love with Claudia Black. And who can't, who can't, really who can't relate? And Omens is back, <laughs> and uh, she's here to talk about the prisoner and fashion. So I'm going to read this email, if that's Gucci with you, Mr. Scucci. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. Please, Mr. Scucci is my father. Omens opens. Dearest friends, Omens here. Oh. It's been a while. Oh. Y'all are doing the prisoner now, and it's turning out to be one of my favorite slices of crazy in the world of British media, with the fun add-on of the costuming and set design being absolutely fire so here are all the thoughts that i have let me be real here i think that mod fashion for women can throw itself out a window i don't have room in my soul for twiggy or nancy sinatra i don't like shift dresses or white patent boots or beehive hairdos or makeup that's too pale to look good on anyone who's not very light or very dark and that sort of youth focused thin focused sea change in fashion that happened around this time really sidelined what actually flatters a human body hmm uh, side note to that, I always remember that you can tell you're watching late Mad Men when the mod scene comes in because the zoomy, zoomy, zoo scene. Yeah, it gets, it gets groovy in late it, Mad Men. It, exactly. It super duper yeah. does. Everyone's smoking jazz cigarettes instead of cigarettes. <laughs> God, Mad Men's a good show, huh? Yeah, that's a, probably the next chat season, I think. We maybe. could never. I don't think we could do it. I don't think we could do it. I think we should. Yeah. No, I <laughs> yes, I do think we should do it. It could be fun. Um, Thankfully, this costuming department appears to agree because they have gone for an easy Brigitte Bardot sort of look for number six's Women of the Week. Classic silhouettes in simple colors, jeans that aren't too tight, sweaters for day, and elegant dresses for evening. It's all very south of France, and I'm here for it. They look comfortable. They look like people with lives. 10 out of 10 would recommend please dress your women like people. Just... Just snaps. Just snaps, man. Hmm. All the snaps. And now for the important stuff. The suit. Now it's time to talk about Patty McGee. Uh, The suit. It's long. It's lean. The trousers are skinny. The shoulders are square. And Patty McGee looks sexy as fuck, says Omens Mm. in all caps. Mm. Which, again, just facts. Just truth and real. Nothing but truth. Usually it's women who get the really complex, flattering tailoring. But the 60s seriously flipped the script, and now men get to have, like, an actual angular silhouette instead of the rounded and comfy leisure suits of the 40s and 50s. And it fits perfectly, and the white piping is flawless. Mm. Like a fine wine. Uh, The pants actually fit his butt and his legs. I love the word butt. He looks so tall. It's a good suit. She says, I want to cry thinking about it. It's so flattering. I want to kiss the costume designer. (laughs) (laughs) I want to kiss Patty McGee. Goodness gracious, that man is hot. Yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful outfit on a beautiful man. man. He always, with his body posture, the way he's always like leaning as if he's about to, about to lift off from the the blocks in like a race or something. (laughs) Like Like he's he's, running? (laughs) Yeah, like he's about to do a hundred meter, but not like a sweaty hundred meter, like a graceful sort of a cheetah kind of a panther. Yeah, you know, a panther. He's, I, a, I, he's a good looking. Well, guy. yeah, because he's always trying to escape. True, uh, I guess that's the character. Yeah, he's always trying to get ready for the next Kasho game, so that's really why he's he's getting ready to go places. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. um, and she says the suits just keep being good, even the weird ones that the number two minions wear. Sometimes with those futuristic wrap jackets are good. 
Um, they have shoulder pads, and they're in a really nice shade of dove gray, and they're super cute. Even when it's futuristic Star Trek stuff, they don't cut corners on the show, and it makes for an incredibly visually compelling experience. Uh, I'm, comp- I'm procrastinating on a paper for my museum class, and I need to go to bed, so I shall leave you here. Love, miss, and be seeing you. More misregards, omens. P.S. I have signed up for your Patreon. In all caps, everyone do the thing. <laughs> Beautiful. And she's yes. right. You all should do the thing. Yes. That's great. It, it's amazing. We finally, we've gotten some new um, patrons recently, including omens. And you can join the club over at patreon.com. Shameless plug for ourselves. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think the mod fashion stuff I find really fun. And you don't have to do a spy show where that looks like this and they dress like this and not all the bad guys have to wear cool scarves and boat shoes but they do and they're gonna be on this fancy island they might as well dress fancy right i think it's great i think it conveys this sort of like european mysteriness to the show um yeah. so again thank you to all for sending in the email and we hope to continue to hear from you um magellan we have a second email here this week All right, the second email comes from Nick, one half of the brothers at Infinite War. Uh, I feel like Nick deserves a bumper, uh, (laughs) given, you know, not not, doesn't go as far back as Omens. I get it, but uh, he's he's been around. Well, he he can get the Nickelodeon logo, the intro. Nick, 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 Nick. That's good. If that's copyright infringing, or if you prefer another song, Nick, please let us know <laughs> for yeah, your but, intro. But that's what but you we're get putting for that one in for now. Yes. Uh, uh, Nick writes say? about our episode from last week, Prisoner Chats 06. And he says the following, in regards to having the same thoughts to react to something while listening to old episodes. So this is us talking about that machine that could like predict your actions. Um, and how when we listen to old episodes of chats and... Like, I hear you say something, I think what I'm going to say, and then I say it on the podcast, and it freaks me out. Um, Nick says, I have the exact same experience when I listen to the few that I have guested on. To answer the philosophical question about how long does it take for us to change enough to be a different person, I guess this is one way to test. The day you listen to your old chats episodes and you don't have the same responses as past you means you're now a new you. So I'm glad we finally solved the uh, ship of Theseus question. Finally. It was <laughs> easy. You just have to. Yeah. If Theseus can listen to his old podcast and not make the same jokes, then he's a new Theseus. He's on a new boat. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Nick goes on to say, if you want a show that talks about computers predicting people's behavior as the main premise, I would recommend again the other J.J. Abrams show, uh, the, the more credit goes to Jonathan Nolan, Person of Interest. It is a shame that the prisoner has so many interesting ideas that in the end it doesn't have time to explore them all as much as a multi-season show could. Um, yeah, I think we're also finding that the prisoner also had some ideas that weren't as interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I it's a I question mark for me of like if they got two seasons, how whether that would make the prisoner better or worse. I don't I don't know actually. Um. Then Nick says, agreed, the assassination plot was less interesting. It also didn't totally make sense why he even wanted to have the outgoing number two be killed. What was to be gained from that? It's not like the number two needed to kill him uh, in order to be promoted to new number two. And I don't think there was a lot to gain by intentionally pulling number six into the fold to have a chance to stop it, and eventually did. 
then Nick says, just the threat of a lobotomy was scary as hell watching this episode. Until we knew they didn't actually do it, I was in disbelief they could actually take that dramatic of a step. But, of course, they can't actually do that to the main character. Duh. Unless. Re- yeah, unless. Yeah. I mean, maybe they get desperate and they do that. Reading up on lobotomies, they were still pretty rampant in the 40s and 50s, with quite high numbers in the USA, but proportionately higher numbers in the UK. So certainly this is a very good-to-use real threat to one's sense of identity and control, literal attacks on the brain. I loved and hated it. But given how good this drug is to make people susceptible to suggestion and interrogation, and we've seen them slip things into his tea and drinking water plenty of times... Why haven't they just pumped him with the stuff before? Yeah. This part bothers me more than just dumping it in plants. It's a good question. I think it the, tie- the... Yeah, go ahead. You know it, baby. It ties back into my theory that this is all a big game, and they have to test him so that he passes some sort of mysterious test before they kill him or whatever. Because drugging him would just give them the answer. That's not going to satisfy the conditions of the test. Yeah, right. And ultimately, it's not about the answer, right? It's about the the, the power, the, the act of dominance of yeah. saying, like, you chose to tell us because you decided it was the, the right idea. Exactly. Yeah. Nick finishes up by saying, in regards to Black Mirror, it's mostly great. And the White Christmas special Alan mentioned is probably my, uh, or tied for my favorite episode with USS Callister, because, duh, Star Trek horror parody. Keep yeah. Keep up the great work, Nick. Nick, you keep up the great work. You Nick. keep up your beautiful work on the subreddit with your sibling, and go back to work. Get back yeah. to work, Nick. Do get jobs. Um, yeah, Black Mirror, good show. Lots of good episodes. Uh, that Star Trek episode is very faithful at the very least, even if I think that the whole like villain reveal of it is goofy as fun. Um, I think yeah, the dumber that Black Mirror gets though, are the better, the best episodes. And that kind of mimics, like, with The Prisoner or, like, Twilight Zone. Like, all the best ones are the weirdest ones. Um, Majon, I would love to sit down with you someday if we had infinitely more time to watch 2019 Twilight Zone. Because it is... It's dumb, dude. It's just really I mean, we stupid. We just and good. do The Twilight Zone. Good, and then we watch the one with J. Michael Straczynski and Rockne S. O'Bannon that everyone Well, hates. I guess well, we'd watch all of them. We'd watch every iteration of The Twilight Zone. That's, like, a lot, dude. Okay, we'll do it. All right. That's our next show. Just kidding. Unless. Uh, well. Just kidding. No, just kidding. No, Unless. No, no it's no. actually literally not. Yeah, um, no. Our next cool. one's Mad Men. So. What? No. I, How no, many episodes no. is Mad Men, Magellan? We'll look it up off the air. Thank it's you for sending It's only a million episodes. It's only going to take us 20 years. Here. I'm okay, on. it's 92 episodes. I just saw an article in Googling it, though, that was like, why? 10 reads. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's it called <clears throat> mad men five reasons why don draper is the lead character and five re oh i didn't read the second i they buried the lead and five when you click through it the, not, is that what it is five reasons why it's peggy olsen yeah, I mean, okay. I thought it was just like five reasons why he's the main character. Both of it's them. both. It's both. <laughs> Isn't that the conceit of the show? Yeah. Okay. Ooh, Madman ending explained. Madman, the tragedy of Betty Draper. Oh, I can't wait. It would be <laughs> interesting to in- do a critical comparison of Madman's dual protagonist situation and the newsroom's failed dual protagonist situation. With uh, with what's her face? 
Yeah, with what's her face? You can do Mackenzie? it. Mackenzie? No. No, not Mackenzie McCarroll. Allison Pill's character. Yeah. What's her name? Whose name, obviously without looking it up, yep. is... You got Will McAvoy, you got Mackenzie McHale. Mackenzie McHale. You've got um, Don. Shoot, Sexy Magellan, Don. no. I'm seeing her. I'm sorry out to Allison Pill. You're a wonderful actress. You're very The good. guy said, I'd love to call you to her. Jim is in love with Maggie. Maggie Jordan. Maggie. That's right. Yeah, because it's supposed also, to be I Maggie found... and Will are both protagonists, but then it kind of messes that up. Dude, I just need to stop looking on the internet because now I found a video from 2015 where Jeff, Jeff Newsroom uh, <laughs> does Will McAvoy and the Dumb and Dumber guy in the same sketch. I'm done. Oh, good. No, that's it, guys. Oh, good. Oh, good. at gmail.com. Thank you so much for emailing us. We'll be right back to discuss the second episode for this week. I'm not telling you what it's called. You can, you'll can you hear it in two seconds. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? It's the Western one. What was that one called? <laughs> Yeehaw, cowboy. Yeah, it's called Living in Harmony. Welcome back to Prisoner Chats. We're still here. It's Alan and Magellan, and we're here to talk about episode 14, Living in Harmony. Yes! This episode was written. Yes! It was written by... Yes! It was... Yes! <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> broken. Right. <laughs> right. This one was written by David Tomlin and Ian L. Rakoff. It was directed by Tomlin, and it aired December 29th, 1967. This is the last episode of 67, folks. And Magellan, what can you tell me happened in Living in Harmony? In this episode, dugout spurs, that jingle, jingle, jingle. Oh, good song! Yeah, you you turned me around. I was like, I was like, oh, shut the like, ignore Magellan. He's just doing one of his classic Magellanic bits, and then he like, oh, ain't she glad you're single? And then he kept it going. Oh, no. In the sky. I miss Fall in Vegas, bud. That's a good it. game, man. That was a great one. Baron on his hero. Yeah, man, the soundtrack was bumping in yeah. Fallout New Vegas. It truly was. It truly Heck was. yes. In this episode, number six finds himself in a Wild West version of his imprisonment. Yeehaw! Yeehaw. What'd you think of uh of Living in Harmony? Favorite episode of the season so far. No, it wasn't. No, 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 no. Was no, it? Un- unless. It's one of the most interesting episodes. It's going to be one of the most interesting ones to talk about because I think it tries something bold, just like we said for the last one, where it's like, wow, you really went for it here, didn't you? I almost would have liked it more if it wasn't actually real um, in the context of the prison. Like if this was just literally, what if the prisoner did a genre episode to emphasize the fact that you can kind of copy paste these characters' concepts and themes into another setting and have it be distinct but similar and just do that yeah that's actually a point that um the av club review agrees with that i i think is cool of like what if number six was like one guy in kind of a cross-generational lineage of 
of malcontents and rebels, you know? Yeah, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. To sort of fight against authority in all different contexts. I, yeah, I guess that could have been cool. Like, what if what if Deconstruction of Falling Stars went backwards? <gasps> That's a uh, Babylon 5 episode for people who are new. Um, Would you like that show if, like... No, dude. If this week it was the Wild West and next week he's, like... Uh, Ancient even... Rome. Yeah, he's, doing assassination. he's like, it's Caesar's like, oh, you better use your your sword or whatever. And he's like, no, I won't use my sword, Caesar. <laughs> I'm, a fr- I'm a free serf. Well, I will okay. stab no galls for you, sir. There's so many angles here, but basically, just to like knock out the plot of this episode, because it's really yeah. straightforward. Could you tell me? Because we talk about second en- episode syndrome uh, when you watch both of these in the same evening, it's kind of hard to pay attention to the second one, right? Yeah, and I I suffered bad from second episode syndrome. It was it was rough. I was not watching this one very. Close I, at I all. see here that ninety percent of your notes are <laughs> just from the wiki. Yeah, again, not most 90%. of my notes are most of my interest in this one is about the context and the thinking behind making it, as opposed to the episode itself. Right, 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 right. Yeah, basically. Um, in this episode, Six finds himself in, like we said, a Wild West version of the village. It's sort of the village. And at first, I, I genuinely thought they were just doing, like, what if a rival happened in the Wild West? Like, he mm-hmm. is riding his horse instead of his car. Yeah. He gets ambushed by mobsters instead of by top hat boys. Um, and he's taken to a town that is entirely false, um, just like the village is. Uh, and he meets a woman who he thinks he can trust, uh, but she is being manipulated by the higher ups, and her death is used to convince him to uh, be broken because um, she is uh, kind of helping him break out of prison. He's sent to prison for being different and for not wanting to work with the sheriff who wants him to use a gun. That's the main yeah. sort of like thing to talk about both in the production of this episode and thematically is that he's he's very his character in this is very anti-violence and the the sheriff is like well you still need to like if you're going to be here you need to work here and you need to be my my gunman yeah. uh he is watched over in his prison cell by a boy named Billy um who uh is just a it's kind of complicated like what's this guy's mental state going on but he seems to be very like passive and also aggressive not passive aggressive but passive in personality but aggressive in his rage yeah um and when kathy rescues him uh she is eventually uh cornered by billy who kills her and six freaks out and is shot by the sheriff before waking up and realizing that none of this is real the sheriff is actually number two. He's been on the village the entire time. Everything is fake. The actors are fake. And are they, though? Because then the guy who's playing the kid, who is number eight, uh, like, actually kills the per- the woman who plays Kathy. And the episode ends on, like, the two of them lying dead in the saloon. And number six walks out, and he's like, I don't... He just kind of walks like out, like, puts his hands up, like, this is not... This doesn't involve me anymore. <laughs> you guys are yeah. just weird, broken people. Yeah. Um, and I, I think where I want to start is talking about Westerns because I have always been a big fan of Western films. Um, mm-hmm. I think around like high school, like I started researching them and like I watched uh, uh, The Wild Bunch and I watched The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly way back then and, uh, you know, Desperado and like all the sorts of like old and like modern re envisionings of Westerns um, and True Grit. I love True Grit still to this day. Mm-hmm. 
and the thing about westerns is kind of historically they were an attempt to like romanticize the american wild west which is obviously an extremely fraught period of american history filled with a lot of uh taking over the land of indigenous populations and uh ruining wildlife and also like enslaving people just the, it's an awful time that's portrayed yeah. as like yeehaw lassos cute girls and drinking from saloons and moonshine and shit right um and so cinema as like the attempt to make the western a genre and put it in the minds of like children like with western tv shows and all that is to kind of cover over the base of like what was actually happening and well yeah like kids playing cowboys and indians in their backyard right exactly exactly um that's entirely been the like the narrative of, of like early westerns and now you know when you see a modern western it's usually in response to that and like the setting can still be interesting i still think yeah a lot of westerns are important also worth noting like the history of western films often being directed and produced by italian directors and writers and this whole mm-hmm. like foreign because you know we have like french new wave happening so like american directors are pulling from the french and now right, Italians the spaghetti are the spaghetti western is a yes is a different genre than than the western than like the western much more grim and and sort of a subversion of of the American version of like, oh, the West is this amazing thing. Yeah, exactly. So the yeah. spaghetti Western kind of being this response to the traditional Western. And now we are, we find ourselves at this point where they don't really make Westerns anymore, but when they do, it's kind of like Quentin Tarantino, who already has a fetish for old cinema. And in addition to feet, uh, just being like, <laughs> wouldn't it be cool if a bunch of like black characters were cowboys? And it's like, yeah, I guess, but like that, mm, that's kind of like the Hamilton thing where just by changing the race doesn't make it cool yeah i mean and he's doing a sort of like black exploitation meets western thing. Yeah. yeah that's like where we're at nowadays but yeah the reason i bring all that stuff up is the, what succeeds in this episode is that now we're in 1967 and we kind of i hope that the creators of the prisoner know that like the western is a very like false genre based on lies and that's why you have six kicking over this horse this saloon and realizing that all of this is a facade, it's like, yeah, even the concept of a Western in this type is a facade. There is an episode of Crusade, which was part of, it's a spin-off show of Babylon 5, where they kind of like do a sort of Western motif. And I literally thought the set from that episode was the same uh, saloon used in this episode. Like there are shots where it looks identical. And I was like, it's all fake. It's, they're using, they, not that they're using the same set, but maybe they like, you know, it's just a table, like background, like every saloon looks the same. Um, so I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Like they know that like, this is already fake. And the, the village is using that to manipulate six. Who's a young, per- like a relatively young person in the sixties who is like, yeah. yeah, Westerns. I know what I do in a Western. I like get the girl and I run out of jump escape from prison. Well, and, and Westerns are, uh, they're a genre that glorifies exactly what it you would think six is all about the sort of like rugged individual spitting in the face of authority or the system the heroes of westerns are people who do that exactly and you can this is like we're talking about how far back could you roll like a premise like this and even the westerns also were borrowing heavily from like errant knight's tales Mm -hmm. and just like this is a guy who runs who goes on his horse and goes to a new town like the arthurian legend kind of thing it all go. It goes as far back as you want it to go. It's a classic example of a story, but I think framing in Western and making it about, like, how do you frame violence in this, and what is bringing, introducing weaponry and stuff like that, and the ability to kill others, to this story, like effect. Like, for example, if Number Six found a gun on the village, 
would he just shoot number two and be done with it? Would that accomplish anything? Like, where does that fit into this? Yeah, it introduces this this idea into the prisoner that we haven't really seen expressed exactly this way, which um, in the background information on the wiki, I saw... I saw this quote that I want to share. Um, So Patrick McGowan said in in an interview uh, that this episode came to be because the show was short. Well, I'll get to that part in a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, But essentially he says that the goal of Living in Harmony was to make them, make this episode as visually exciting as possible, but still retaining within it the part of the theme of violence doesn't pay off, which I I haven't understood that to be the theme of The Prisoner. The idea that violence doesn't pay off, um, because I don't I don't know that there have been many episodes where Six has had to make, make the choice of like violence or not violence. The only time I can think of is it's your funeral when he says like oh we shouldn't assassinate number two because that will only beget more violence. Uh, so this shows this episode centers around this sort of moral conundrum of the judge is basically trying to force six to use a gun um right. because all the all the toughs keep beating the shit out of him uh to the point that he has to be in protect, protective custody at one point and mm-hmm. then he becomes the sheriff of the town and then it's like you can't be a sheriff without a gun and uh it seems for some reason like the village is fixated on making six use violence um which i find I I don't know about that. Like, I do think that that's an interesting thing to explore. And I do think that that is a subversion that works particularly well when this is framed as a Western, Mm -hmm. where it often the heroes of Westerns are also the quickest draw. Right. Um, This episode literally has a Mexican standoff. Like, yeah. And in this episode that when he shoots Billy, it's framed as like, this big moral failure like that's the moment where it all unravels and falls apart yeah and when he's lost himself um so in that sense i i think that that's compelling but it doesn't i don't feel that it connects to any other parts of the prisoner the show for me um because i haven't known six to be someone who abhors violence i think he doesn't really want to get involved and it reads as as genuine to me that he doesn't want to use violence but to say that that has been like a central theme of the show i i think isn't entirely accurate i think the only other time it's come up that i can immediately think of is last week with the assassination plot right which is more a question of like revolutionary violence in broader scale like does killing a political figure accomplish things it can but Mm -hmm. at what cost that sort of thing and i Um, guess it also connects to if six is saying that he resigned out of out of a sense of conscience like he he wasn't maybe he had to kill someone on a mission and yeah yeah he didn't want to do that or something like that but uh yeah i don't know i I, it's kind of it's a side i guess my issue with it is it's a side theme in a side story yeah and and also in an otherwise kind of boring ass like episode (laughs) right right um but the prisoner doing a western it makes sense if you're gonna do any other genre uh as a piece in this show i can't think of another genre where it would have worked 
because I, again, I think that Six as a protagonist feels as if he kind of has certain things in common with Western protagonists, but then certain things that he's diametrically opposed with mm-hmm. your typical Western protagonist. Like he's not, he's not Clint Eastwood in, in uh fistful of dollars or whatever. Yeah. Where he's like murdering everyone. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. not what six does. Um, but he is like Clint Eastwood in the sense that he like rides in and he does his own shit and he's the boss of the town and you know, so I was conflicted about it, I guess. Uh, I think if the episode was, like you said, it was boring. I yeah. think if it was, if it was more interesting, I would have liked it more. But it kind of just felt a little wooden throughout. throughout. It kind of felt like I was waking up occasionally and being like, oh, we're doing like a cool trial scene. And like, Kathy's a good actress and like that's going on. Oh, okay. Now we're just mm-hmm. fighting and we're in jail. Uh, Billy's like a, I can't tell if they're doing like a, like he has a mental illness like why is he being doing that like quiet there's a lot of like honestly hashtag problematic stuff in this episode that we can get into but i mean otherwise it's the violence stuff works really well the rest of the episode kind of falls super flat um i understand why people skip this episode when they rewatch the prisoner and why they don't a lot of people don't like it uh the gun stuff i mentioned this in the previous episode but Reminds me of a take that I remember constructing about Lost in its first season that I don't remember seeing like brought up that much in writing about mm-hmm. that show since then. But basically around it's like the 12th episode of season one. I just was looking it up, actually. Um, they you know, you have all these people on the island. They crash. They're, they're playing crash and broken half. Yeah. Um, they find like a briefcase. And I guess this is like a minor spoiler for the first season of Lost. Sorry, just 30 seconds. Give me that there's a gun inside of the case. It's belongs to a person who was being carried like on the plane, her, like she's being taken to be taken for custody by a secret agent. And the secret agent has, or he's like a U.S. Marshal rather. And he Mm -hmm. has a gun. And so the guns in the case and the episode where they introduce the gun is the very first time that conflict on lost becomes violent. And it's not Hmm. even that people are getting shot. It's that literally introducing the idea that like there is a loaded gun in the narrative it makes Mm. people more like likely to like fight each other for it worry about it who's going to keep it why do you get to keep it how much ammo does it have like you become obsessed with the the method of violence to the point where it becomes what the show is yeah um so i always thought that was so interesting that like everything on on lost up until the introduction of the gun is about like figuring out why we're here what brought us here what about us what problems did we have that got us here and then the gun is like okay now people die we have to survive it's not just about like how do we eat how do we get water it's like Hmm. are the bad people going to kill us with the gun that they stole Hmm. um i also think it's funny that this episode is like what if the prisoner was in the old west and lost also did in one of its later seasons not in the old west but like what if these characters were completely recontextualized and nobody was the way that they were for like a whole season? That was like the concept. Uh, season five, I think, is like, what if they were huh. the other people? Um, again, proving that my theory that Lost invented nothing. Um, but yeah, I thought so. It's just there isn't really much else here. I mean, the I appreciate the costuming. I think it's all like very standard fare. Like this is what a western looks like. The saloon yeah. looks like a saloon. You know. Again, it's sort of. I felt like I was tuning into a daytime movie on on cable and i 
I had the urge to like flip the channel to an episode of Match Game or something right, to just right, get the right. full like '60s TV experience. Um, it's it's I when you were talking about Lost, the introduction of a gun changing the changing the tone of the show and and sort of ratcheting up the tension, making everything center around the gun. I had this flash of like, this is my proposal for a prisoner episode. Okay. Uh, what if, what if number six is locked in a room with the number two of that week mm-hmm. and the number two, is, he's like, why'd you bring me here? And then the number two just like puts a gun on the table and slides it to him. Oh, and is like, go ahead. Number six, shoot me. Or the next whatever. 30 minutes are just the tension of that. Yeah. And then they just talk like, that's how they get him to talk about your sort of issue of conscience is like, what's the problem? You, you can a, just do it. I'm letting you do it. No one will you see You were a spy. This was your job. You killed people. Oh! <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> Isn't that be a good episode? I think that'd be really cool, actually. Yeah. I'm super into that. I think that would be way better than like we're in the Wild West and we're trying to use the Wild West to trick him into using a gun or right. whatever. I thought it was hilarious at the end. I think it was a little long, but at the end, the scene where number two is like, you... Ah, uh, you told me number eight that this was gonna work, and number eight's like it always works. It always works. The, the thing where we put people in the wild west mm-hmm. always works. Oh man, it's a flawless plan. Yeah, I loved uh, like watching the mask come off and watching like the person playing Kathy is like a crying woman who's like you know doing her best, and number eight is actually like a very competent British lad who's like, no, I know how to do this, guys, because yeah. kid is like the classic like i my i'm weird i'm disturbed and i have i know how to use a weapon and i want to choke this woman and sexually assault her and all this gross gross stuff i thought um, he was pretty good at portraying super creepy but mm-hmm. to what end <laughs> you know yeah like, also why? to what end like do they know in 1967 how fucking racist it is to make the first person that six meets in this town be a white guy dressed like with yeah, brown, face, brown face yeah. doing a mexican character and being like senor and all like no yeah no. and he like still has such a thick british accent being like hola senor <laughs> yep, yep, <laughs> doing yep, like yep. a weird trill and they clearly put fake teeth in his mouth and stuff and he's focused on a lot like when kathy's brother is hanged because he's the other guy that's in the prison it's like we keep cutting to him being like hey yeah and i'm like no just don't he doesn't matter to the episode like was that the the creators of the prison are being like they do this in westerns we can do it because that's fraught (laughs) or was it certainly it it must have been because it's 67 like we know by that point they know and this is already a show that's like pretty uh like open-minded uh, in its politics mm. and stuff, you know, uh, it would probably thought was... have thought of itself as a radical show. Yes, yes, but that that was super jarring, yeah, and kind of hard to watch. But it didn't occupy too much of the episode, thankfully. Yeah. Um, and then also the fact, like one of my first notes here was like the number two, the guy who's the sheriff. His hair is extremely, extremely dyed gray. He it. does not it. have gray hair. And at first I was like, that's terrible makeup work. And then I was like, oh, is it supposed to be like he doesn't look normal? Like he's supposed to look like a, f- a funny old man? Like I thought that was maybe what they were going for. Yeah, I thought they did a good job of making him and Billy uh, stand out. And yeah. seem a little too strange to be in a normal Western. Yeah, yep. 
Yeah. A little bit false. Yeah. Because Billy's literally in like red pajamas. <laughs> like he's yeah, the whole time. Exactly. Um, yeah. The the one shot that I thought was really striking that kind of conveys the theme of violence and how we have to like move past violence and all that stuff was after Kathy is killed by by the kid, we get like maybe three seconds tops of number six burying her. It's so quick, and I kind of want it to be a thumbnail because it's this gorgeous, like, sunsetting shot of him just being like, this is part of the motion of someone dying. Is you have to do this because the prisoner usually doesn't have to do stuff like that. Like, if someone dies, they die off screen. Number two is decommissioned off screen. But mm-hmm. now that somebody's dying in the middle of an episode, we have to be like, oh, yeah, someone has to get buried. <laughs> That's yeah. difficult. I, I really... I didn't know what to make of her character post uh reveal post reveal mm-hmm. in because once the reveal happens, you sort of get like, okay, the whole her being this damsel is part of the charade, right? It's like yep. part of the if we're playing a western film, then it's a great subversion of western films to be like, oh, save me six i'm I'm the you know the lady in this Western saloon that all the guys hit on and I like can't defend myself and I get strangled by this horrible man and all that stuff. But then when you get out of the reveal, she goes and wanders the empty set of the Western as if she's like, <laughs> as if she's Nostalgic. like Chandler Bing on the last episode of friends or something like yeah, yeah, looking yeah. at the empty apartment. It's like, what is this? Why is she so, wistful for she this. says i wish it was real yeah why why and then she gets Who killed in for real. she gets killed for real yeah also why does she get that killed was for real very like good horror movie shot of number eight under the stairs being like God. so creepy very scary why what are you doing what was the purpose of this i and guess they, they just both die i guess it's like he's mad that she fucked the thing up uh-huh. and now he is going to get whatever happens to people who screw up with number six. I guess they get killed. He's going to get killed. And so he's like trying to take revenge because of that. Yeah. Yep. I guess. But like, I don't know. I And also he didn't choke her for that long. No, she kind of dies fast. And she didn't, it didn't make sense that she would be dead. She just was like, I wish it were real. Uh, uh, uh. Gone now. And Number then two he... and goes, what the fuck? <laughs> so my thing with that and with this, the previous episode is just further, further problems with the prisoner and its treatment of women. Yeah. And you can kind of like, uh, you can sort of give the same acting lesson to all women who need to be on the prisoner, which is like... <laughs> Tilt your head 45 degrees upward and just give a face of like, like wide eyed, like, oh, oh no. And that's it. That's all of your lines are that. Yeah. It was very forlorn. Like, please, no. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Yeah. If you're going to do wet, like, I don't know, subvert it. If the whole thing is that this is all fake and we know it's fake, then subvert it. Don't just do it. Yeah. It could have, and it could have been a subversion. Like they did. And then they just did it again. Yeah. You have like all of the tropes of Western. To what end? I think, yeah, yeah, this is the stuff where I'm like, even like smart academic critics of The Prisoner are like, this is the episode. There's actually a note in the, the wiki about like, 
there's a critic who was like, yeah, this is the this is the prisoner jumping the shark. This is where people started going. Maybe they should end the prisoner, which is sad to think about. Hmm. Uh, I want to talk about yeah some of the like before oh, sorry, we ahead. start oh, the yeah. context. Just one yeah, last yeah, thing yeah. from that final scene. Yep. Because then fucking number eight sees number two come in and he's like Wah! and then he runs up the stairs and there's this whole 80 yard speech his mouth is not moving at all not in the slightest and the adr this whole speech about like here i am i'm running up the stairs and i'm gonna it's all i'm so crazy blah, 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 blah. and then he jumps off over the banister and i guess dies from a Again, height not that, that high not maybe that high would have like he would have like broken a bone yeah. or something maybe yep. And definitely wouldn't have knocked him out. Definitely wouldn't have killed him. Not possible. And so I do like the final shot of number two standing over the dead bodies of his compatriots who've been driven mad by their own scheme. That appealed to me in a sort of like Edgar Allan Poe Twilight Zone kind of way. But how we get there is so farcical that I just can't take it seriously. I'm rewatching. I just wanted to rewatch the scene to see the ADR work. What does he say? Hold on. Let me <laughs> give me it word for word. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, there's a bunch of music. He looks up and he goes, "You read me, Judge? No way. No way. No more. You're gonna hit me. No more. No. No. No." And he just like puts his arms up in like a Christ pose. Goes no, and then falls and dies. And yeah, number two, rightfully, he's like the fuck (laughs) okay and i you know i guess it's like you could make this point and read into this about the abuse that number eight and number 22 suffered under the hand of number two and yeah uh, i do think that it the show really could delve into the psychology of the warders and how the island fucks with them too you know Mm -hmm. um but I think other episodes have done that more successfully. I think Hammer into Anvil did that really successfully. Um, Agreed. It, yeah, and it's a much better, much better, like the scene where number two's buddy in Hammer into Anvil goes to fight number six in his house because he's just like lost everything. Mm-hmm. Such a better version of of this idea than how they're doing it in this episode yeah um yeah it's but it's anyway. fascinating to watch it's like how does the prison like we talk about like oh at the very worst the prisoner is at least consistent and it's like no i can now safely say like the prisoner has had at least a bad episode <laughs> yeah right it's okay it doesn't make the show overall that much worse it's just like oh they they whiffed one yeah straight up so there's a lot of interesting context like you yeah were moving into at this episode um First of all, this one wasn't aired in the U.S. when they originally aired the whole series in the United States. They totally did, makes sense. They didn't air this one. Very, makes perfect. Because, I mean, isn't there also something in there about, like, audiences were really confused that there was no opening? Yeah. And there was no intro. So, like, yeah. you. Not only is there no opening, but, like, this episode kind of slides weirdly into canon and doesn't make any sense if you overthink it and all this stuff. Like, yeah. And... and the uh, isn't there something like the actual a uh, presumed reason for why it was uh, not aired in the U.S. was about the anti-violence stuff? Uh, yes, from I don't know how accurate this is, mm-hmm. but um, from what I understand, the confirmed reason why the confirmed reason why the this episode wasn't aired is because 
whatever network was airing the prisoner i think it was like cbs or abc or something yeah they were worried that it oh cbs yeah they they were worried that it could be interpreted as like an anti-vietnam message yeah to have him refuse to to take up the gun sure uh because this is 67 so like yeah the u.s is in vietnam it's it is happening we're he's talking about i don't want to use guns in this like united states western story yeah yep i totally get that yeah um the other thing that i find kind of funny and fascinating about this is uh this episode was is filler um yeah so there's more to the quote that i read earlier where uh in a 1977 interview, Patrick McGowan said uh, that the episode, this is from the wiki, the episode came to be because the show was short a story and he really had the desire to act in a Western, <laughs> <laughs> which is silly. The prisoner had originally so. been conceived by McGowan as a serial of seven episodes. Oh, seven? Damn, I thought it was eight. Damn. Um, but ITC managing director Lou Grade uh, had the intention to sell the series to an American network and therefore demanded 26 episodes. As, as McGowan couldn't come up with that many stories, they made a compromise and decided upon 17. In light of these events, McGowan and the writing staff had to come up with 10 more episodes, one of which was Living in Harmony. As McGowan would later state, the goal of Living in Harmony and other padding episodes was to make them as visually exciting as possible, but still retaining within them part of the theme of violence doesn't pay off. Yeah. Uh, are you curious about what the original seven episodes were supposed to be i am so i'm on that like prisoner fan page that i talked about a few episodes ago mm-hmm. uh where they list out what the original seven uh were intended to be so the intention was that the seven episodes would be arrival mm-hmm. dance of the dead mm-hmm. free for all yeah have we seen free for all yes we have which one's free for all number six runs for the office of number two uh, the Chimes of Big Ben, mm-hmm. Checkmate, uh-huh. Once Upon a Time, which we haven't seen, which we haven't seen, and Fallout, which is the, the okay. finale. Okay, yeah, it's a tight. That's a tight version of the show, straight up. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. it. It cuts a lot of great. Like there are a lot of really good episodes uh, mm-hmm. that aren't on that list that we have seen. Um, like the Schizoid Man and Many Happy Returns isn't even there. It's kind of a fun contrast. Anvil. Yeah, there's definitely good episodes that came out of that limit that forcing him to make more episodes. But yeah. it's kind of a fun contrast to our last season, Babylon 5, where the creator of the show, Jim Michael Straczynski, was being like, you will only give I will only do the show if you give me five seasons. And yeah. like that's unprecedented at the time because people are like, no, we tell you how long your show is. You just keep making it until we can put it into syndication. Yeah. And uh, whereas in this case, in the in the sixties, McGowan is like, I have a story and I know how to tell it in its seven episodes. It's, and they're like, actually, how about twenty something? And he's like, seventeen, and it's a deal. <laughs> what? <laughs> so weird. Funny. The different ways the TV gets sold to networks. Yeah. Um. This was interesting about one of the writer, the co-writers of the episode, um, Rakoff. I don't remember his first name. Uh, Ian Ian Rakoff. Rakoff. Um, I just thought this was cool. For the theme of the episode, Rakoff drew largely upon his personal experience as part of a leftist movement in South Africa during its apartheid regime. As he believed, the policies and philosophy of the apartheid regime resembled that of the village. 
The idea of a sheriff refusing to bear arms was directly inspired by an incident that occurred uh, while Rakoff was in South Africa, when during a night out he had the intention of shooting a man he considered to be a racist, but was stopped by another group member. Rakoff explained, Later, I was warned, if I wanted to go from associate to full member of the group, I'd have to be more disciplined and give up the gun. It was irresponsible in that world at that time. In addition to his personal experiences, Rakov was influenced by Cowboy Marvel Comics. Uh, the title of the episode, as well as its opening sequence, were lifted from Gene Autry comic books. Hmm. But there's some, you know, there's like some legit leftists who were part of uh, big movements that are that are a part of the prisoner and creating it. So, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is a radical work. For sure. Uh, uh, yeah. You don't you don't see that much of the crew being like unified in that way in a lot of shows anymore. I think. Yeah. Uh, there's also a note on Rakoff's like individual wiki page about this is kind of a bummer. He was working as a script editor on The Prisoner when a call for stories went out, and as he said in interviews, after submitting his story idea for Living in Harmony, he was subjected to a torrent of shouted abuse from Patrick McGowan and also suffered his writer credit being removed and reduced to a story credit. This soured him on the production as well as its star. That's, Does it say why Magoon was yelling at him? I would only assume it's because he didn't like it. But like, you're padding out a show that you didn't even expect to be that long. Like, what is that? Yeah, that's uh, weird. Yeah, it's one of the other like harsh things about uh, the shows and film in that in this era is like yeah, really strong and and always obviously but like strong personalities and like abusive personalities being given positions of power can yeah. lead to a lot of that stuff but i was looking into that rakoff guy and he wrote a book about the making of the prisoner actually. oh yeah but the amazon reviews are kind of like he was there for a later part of it and he makes his his contributions seem bigger than they were and so i don't interesting it's hard to get i think the like the straight truth from any source really yeah it's kind of like the uh what's it called how we're talking about with fake doctors, real friends, how like if that podcast wasn't done by Zach Braff and not Faison, like who would care? Cause you're like, Oh, it's the, <laughs> it's the, jan- <laughs> like if me if the janitor did one, you'd be like, that's cool. But they only have so much insight. Like this person, that's like a tertiary member of the crew. Or if it was like a writer, you'd be like, yeah. ah, okay. Like it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but that I think is, is what we got. I don't really have that many other notes here. Do you? No, that's pretty much it. These, both of these episodes, I I was like, this isn't the show that I was watching. <laughs> so where's, where's The Prisoner? What yeah. To that? I think The Prisoner is back next week, man. Yeah. I think In a big way. I'm, I'm going to go out and on a limb and say that both of these episodes are non-canonical Prisoner wow, episodes. Wow, spice. I don't think I've ever declared episodes non-canonical in any time that we've watched a show before. Mm-hmm. But I think... Uh, no, that's too much. I think the first one's non-canonical. Like him having a fiance just doesn't jive with mm. any of the rest of the characterization. So I, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe this one's canonical, but it just was a little odd. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, the prisoner's back next week. We're gonna be watching it, and uh, we're gonna watch two episodes of the prisoner. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you know it? Next week is the last time that we're watching two episodes of the prisoner. No. Well, at least this version. I mean, we'll eventually watch the entire uh, remake. But uh, 
Yeah, we are watching Barf. Episodes 15 and 16, The Girl Who Was Death and Once Upon a Time. First, The Girl Who Was Death. Back in London, number six is trying to track down a crazed scientist who is protected by his homicidal daughter. Huh? (laughs) Cool. Sounds good. Sure. And then, Once Upon a Time. Because all other attempts to break number six have failed, number two decides to engage him in a game where one of them will end up dead. That's oh. the episode you played. You- yeah, that was what I pitched. <laughs> maybe, they're, maybe they're gonna do it. That's awesome for a second to last episode of your show. Hell yeah, do it. Yeah, that sounds sick. I, yeah, the reason I said the prisoner's back is, as I understand it, these next three episodes are like Patrick McGowan had a feeling the show was going to end and was like, "Let's tell my story. No more filler. These are the episodes I want to make. You know, Got maybe it. not all three, but at least at least the last two. So." Got it. We'll talk about it. We will discuss it next week on Prisoner Chats. But before that, we got to take it to the plug zone. It's time to pay the bills over here. Let's do it. Uh, Can I do it? You know you can. Great. If you'd like to get in contact with us, there's a number of ways to do that. You can send us emails at chatspod at gmail.com if you have your own thoughts or observations about the prisoner, um, or if you have suggestions for things you want to see us do in our bonus content. Uh, If you're listening back to old shows and you want to tell us about it, Go for it. We'd love to hear any of those things. You can also tweet at us and follow us on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash chatspot. We, <laughs> we have folks shooting us memes over there, uh, chat-specific memes. So love it. It's, it's quite delightful. Uh, Nick specifically is doing that, and uh, I should give him credit for it. Uh, you can also join our subreddit started by the brothers at Infinite War, Nick and Pat, uh, over at reddit.com slash r slash chats pod, where they're rewatching. Are they are they still doing the, yeah? Yes, the they are still doing Thursdays. Thursdays. Yep, we got um, back to listening it. back to our first ever show that we covered, Farscape, Scape Chats. Uh, and that is a delightful trip down memory lane that you should join over there. I'm a couple episodes behind over there, but I'm also appearing in the comments as I get caught up for the Throw Chats Thursdays. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty behind, but I might start just listening at pace with what's going on instead Mm -hmm. of trying to catch up on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, All instances of Chatspot are spelled C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D. You, uh, let's see, what else? You can drop a review for us on iTunes. If you'd like to do that, we appreciate five-star reviews. They help people to find us. We appreciate four-star reviews to a slightly lesser extent. And then we don't appreciate three, two, or one-star reviews. No, no. <laughs> so don't do that. I was listening to an episode of, um, of, oh my God, the song, It's All Been Done, that Bare Naked Ladies podcast yeah. uh, that I like, mm-hmm. sort of. And um they read a one-star review on the air and ah. talked about it. And it's like, guys, don't. That's not cool. Don't do that. Just ignore it. But they, like, read it and, like, refuted it or something. And it's like, this is icky. Come on. This is... You don't need to do this. Like call out post on your own yeah. show. Weird. Yeah. Weird, weird. Anyway. Um, yeah, so those are the ways you can get in contact with us and let us know what you think of the show. Uh, you can also read here and there. We're doing uh, little bits of writing about the prisoner, and we'll continue to do that with future shows, I imagine, on our Medium page, uh, which you can either see those posts on our Patreon page. They're open to everybody to see, even not patrons. Uh, mm-hmm. You can also, I think, find the Medium. We we'll, we tweet out links to stuff when we write things, so you can find those things there. 
speaking of the Patreon, you can support the yeah. show over at patreon.com slash chatspod. And we strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, and we have a, a quite a bit of bonus content that people can access on the Patreon. So at a dollar a month, you are showing your support. And then here and there, we might decide that we want to make things that are available to all patrons. Um, I'm still, there was something I said last week would be up. I'm still going to be coy about it in case it's not up yet. But there are things in the works that are like series that will be available to our, all patrons, regardless of pricing level. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're in conversation about. $3 a month gets you access to three bonus shows a month that you can vote on. Uh, so this week we're in the month of May. We already put up a commentary for uh, Sky High. We're going to be piloting Pride and Prejudice next week. And then uh, at the end of May, we're going to be commentarying uh, A Knight's Tale, oh, which is very delightful. Film. Speaking of errant knights. And then, and then you can back us at $5 a month if you just love us that much and and you want to do that and we love you for doing that too so that's all the plug stuff alan do you have a chat some for this week every week we like to give you a little snack to snack on between now and next time uh what's your what's your chat some um i have a chat some i just i'm in my notice because we're on video that i have like ascended while he was doing that because i was yeah you look really happy well i i scrolled through our itunes reviews I yeah. can't. We literally just said we have a we have a middling review. We have a three star review, but yeah. to read it and refute it on the podcast would be to immediately be like d- d- going against what we just said. So I'm just gonna say thank you for that three star review, person who I'm not even gonna name, but you're great. I appreciate. Is it the recent? Con- or... Yes, it's from. Yes, it's very recent. Um, we'll talk about it off Got mic it. though. My chatsum for this week is actually another podcast of sorts. Um, and I've been listening to it for a couple of weeks and I've not been like hyping it up anywhere because I don't know, it's one of those like things I've been enjoying just for myself, but I figured I would share it with the chats community. Um, it's a podcast called North Star Rising hmm. and uh, it's coming from Mike Biffle, who is a game designer and writer who worked on games like Thomas Was Alone. Uh, not subspace emissary, but I wish I could remember the name of his other like really cool visual novel. Uh, he basically he's a British video game developer who does a bunch of stuff. Oh, also Volume, which is a really popular stealth game from a couple of years ago. Um, very clever, very like charming kind of writing style, but really good focus on like character and humor while also like uh developing the world really well. Mm-hmm. Subsurface Circular was the other game he did. Um, oh, and he worked on the John Wick game. Cool. But anyways, uh, North Star Rising is actually a, it's going to be a six part audiobook um, that he like wrote um, that's performed. It's more like a, in the realm of an audio drama because there's sound effects and different character voices and background music and tons of music. It has a soundtrack by Austin Wintory, which if you care about video game soundtracks, he's an absolute icon in that field. Um, and it's just a bunch of cool like british voice actors mostly um cut like two like a man and a woman find themselves on a spaceship one day suddenly teleported and they're trying to figure out why and also like decide whether or not they want to go back and like living their lives as like space adventurers even though they just came from like being regular british folk in 2020 that sort of thing and it's very charming and like i said as of this recording it's three episodes in they're putting out one a week and it's going to end at six episodes, I believe. So it's really cool. It's called North Star Rising and it's literally wherever you listen to podcasts. It's all over the place. Cool. What about you, Magellan? Um, I also have a podcast recommendation. Uh, 
couple guys who were uh, improv teachers of mine here in New York uh, are part of a group called Centralia or Centralia. And recently their group uh, has started a podcast called the Centralia Improvisational Podcast, where every week, it seems like every week, um, two of their members just sort of talk about different aspects of improv and their own experience with it. And if you're at all interested in improvisation, um, it's uh, they've got some interesting things to say. So I say check out the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. Fabulous. Yeah. Thanks, John. Um, not only for that, but for being the rock to my hard place. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of Prisoner Chats. Be seeing you.